0: page Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world.
1: Hello and you're very welcome to episode 702 of the Letter from Ireland show podcast. And in this episode 702, you can first of all can find the show notes on a letterfromireland.com forward slash 702, a letterfromireland.com forward slash 702. I'm Mike Collins and I'm going to be your host for the next 40 minutes or so. And we're going to share plenty of Irish heritage, genealogy, stories and lots of music along the way. So the title of today's show is um, Two Irish Literary joints. And in this case, the actual authors we have in mind are two you've probably heard of. Uh, One is George Bernard Shaw and the other is James Joyce. So what we're going to do is we're going to share some background story, lots of extra information, a little bit of family history and music along the way. Corrine is going to be along to read two letters out containing much of this actual family history. And I think you'll enjoy uh, a little bit of education, lots of fun and again, enjoyable music along that way. But before I actually go on, I'd just like to say that today's show is actually dedicated to the memory of my uncle, William Mannion, who died earlier this week. Now, Willie and his family, he is, first of all, he's the last of my mother's surviving siblings. Out of 10 of them, he was the last one. So that is the end of an era, and I guess we all have to step up at this point in time. Um, He and his family actually came back from New York in the 1960s, um, achieved the ambition of so many Irish people to return to Ireland at some point and he returned to Dublin and I remember visiting his house as a young fella and being very impressed with the record collection that he kept in the front room, the good room or the parlours you might call it. And that particular record collection was very interesting to me, because what it was, it was a recording of the various Broadway musicals. So you had West Side Story, My Fair Lady, South Pacific, and so on and so forth. And every now and again, he actually let us put on one or two of these records and actually listen to them. Now, I must admit, I was quite young at the time, was probably more into the pop records. But over time, I've certainly come to both enjoy and appreciate the taste he had. So I think it's kind of appropriate that we actually dedicate today's show to the memory of Willie, and um, because first of all, the one of the characters we're actually going to be talking about today is George Bernard Shaw. And we're going to be playing a piece of music now that would have been in Uncle Willie's front room back in the day. And it also actually came out, uh, I suppose, from the inspirational pen of George Bernard Shaw in the first place, an Irish author, author rather, and playwright who actually penned a play called Pygmalion that went on to actually become a Broadway musical, a version of a Broadway musical based on the play called My Fair Lady. And of course, you've probably seen the movie along the way. So, without further ado, we're going to kick off with a piece of music, and it's basically a song you probably recognise instantly. It's from the actual movie version of My Fair Lady, and it's called Wouldn't It Be Lovely. It's
2: rather dull in town, I'll think I'll take me to Paris. The missus wants to open
3: up the castle in Capri. The doctor recommends a quiet summer by the sea Mm, mm,
4: Wouldn't it be lovely? All I
3: want is a room somewhere For me to eat Lots of cow Making lots of eat Warm face Warm hands Warm feet I'll on my knee, warm and tender as he can.
1: Isn't that lovely? So there we had Wouldn't It Be Lovely with the uh, voice of Marnie Nixon and the uh, lip movements, I guess, of Audrey Hepburn from the actual movie My Fair Lady. And that one is for you, Uncle Willie, Willie Mannion, who died earlier this week. May you rest in peace. Um, Okay, so George Bernard Shaw. Well, George Bernard Shaw, he's one of those characters who I think kind of rose out of Ireland in the late 1800s into the 1900s as such a presence on the world stage of literature and uh, plays and so on. And of course, like many of these actually giants of literature, they actually had to leave Ireland in the first place to um, to achieve recognition, I guess, and hone their craft and so on. And it was no different for George Bernard Shaw. And over the course of his life, he became very, very Fated and famous, and went on to will, win both a Nobel Peace Prize as well as an Oscar for his actual um, play, taking his play Pygmalion and actually adopting it for the stage and a movie afterwards. So, George Bernard Shaw, now we're actually going to have Karina just chatting about George's life, how he actually, I suppose, kind of rose out of Dublin in the first place, and a little bit more about a particular incident where George was actually involved when it came to actually defending a very particular Irish rebel uh, who has actually been tried. So over to you, Corina.
0: From My Fair Lady to an Irish rebel's defence. Have you ever watched the musical My Fair Lady? Who can forget the way Audrey Hepburn inhabited the character of Eliza Doolittle? or how the cranky Rex Harrison comes around to her cockney ways over the course of the film. The musical is based on the play Pygmalion, which was written by an Irishman, who was the world's most successful living playwright back in his day. It's the story of George Bernard Shaw that I'm going to share with you today. The Shaw's arrive in Ireland. Following William of Orange's successful campaign in Ireland through the late 1600s, he awarded lands across the country to his officers. This was an effective way to pay soldiers for service back in those days. Some officers stayed and settled in the country, while others sold the land grant on to others. One of the people who stayed was a Captain William Shaw from Hampshire in England he was granted lands in the southern part of County Kilkenny. Like many settlers in Ireland, William was concerned with the tendency of the local native Irish to rebel from time to time. Being a military man of some experience and standing, he sent a piece called Proposals for Subduing Those in Rebellion in Ireland to the local authorities. In his proposal he observed one particular aspect of the native irish character the irish have from time to time been in rebellion ever since the conquest of that kingdom and though they are flattering people yet they can never be won by kindness as sad experience has shown despite ongoing threats of rebellion shaw's family thrived in county kilkenny over the coming generations many surnames such as shaw came into ireland in this way through grants of land to soldiers in lieu of pay maybe one of your surnames is among them in the city of dublin many generations later about 150 years later one descendant of William Shaw was born in the Portobello area of Dublin. His parents, George and Bessie Shaw, christened him George Bernard. While the extended Shaw family were successful as professionals and merchants, George senior was not among them. This lack of financial security may have fed the social conscience seen in Shaw's later work. George Bernard Shaw went on to become one of the most famous playwrights and social commentators in the world. Many of his words have worked their way into everyday quotations. From this point on, let's have some fun and sprinkle the letter with some of his off-quoted wisdoms. You see things and you say, why? But I dream things that never were and I say, why not? By all accounts, young Shaw hated school and left as early as possible. By the age of 20, he was on the boat to London and never returned to live in Ireland. A life spent making mistakes is not only more honourable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. Shaw struggled to make it as a writer in England. However, he recognised the gaps in his knowledge and he set off on a path of self-education. Perhaps this approach to learning was the source of his unconventional view of society and the place of the individual within it. Over the following ten years, his hard work paid off and he became a respected theatre critic. During that time, he also started to write his own plays but he had to wait until 1894 for his first success, which was called Arms and the Man. There are two tragedies in life. One is not to get your heart's desire, and the other is to get it. Shaw used his plays to transmit his social opinions and ideas, of which he possessed no shortage, and he was articulate enough to express them in an entertaining manner. His plays included Man and Superman, Pygmalion, which was adapted into a movie for for which Shaw wrote the screenplay and received an Oscar, and later the musical My Fair Lady and St. Joan. He also went on to win the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1925. Progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. George Bernard Shaw defends an Irish rebel. Life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. After the Irish Easter Rising of 1916, the majority of its leaders were executed over the weeks that followed. Shaw was one of the first commentators to predict that these executions would turn the leaders into martyrs, causing many others to flock to the Irish nationalist cause. By the summer of 1916, one leader of the 1916 Rising, Roger Casement, was still alive and imprisoned in London. He expected to be executed following a trial for treason One keen supporter of Roger Casement's cause was the world's greatest living playwright, George Bernard Shaw. Shaw had taken it upon himself to compose a fully scripted defence with the intention of Casement himself delivering his words from the dock. The argument and words in his speech were both dramatic and captivating. The following short excerpt illustrates the argument that Shaw had in mind for casement. Now, as a simple matter of fact, I am neither an Englishman nor a traitor. I am an Irishman, captured in a fair attempt to achieve the independence of my country, and you can no more deprive me of the honours of that position or destroy the effects of my effort than the abominable cruelties inflicted 600 years ago on William Wallace in this city when he met a precisely similar indictment with a precisely similar reply, have prevented that brave and honourable Scot from becoming the national hero of his country. Would these words save Casement from execution? Well, we will never know. Casement decided to go with a defence that he had written himself. He was subsequently found guilty of treason and executed on August 3rd, 1916. Independence, that middle-class blasphemy. We are all dependent on one another, every soul of us on earth. However, all great truths begin as blasphemies. Shaw remained a British citizen for the rest of his life, but he did take on dual citizenship with the Irish Free State in 1934. I wonder what Shaw's ancestor, William Shaw of Kilkenny, would have made of his proposed offence for an Irish rebel. We'll sum it up with Shaw saying, The worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them—that is the essence of inhumanity. George Bernard Shaw, eighteen fifty-six to nineteen
2: fifty. Ring a ring a rosy, as the light declines. I'll remember Dublin city. In the rare old times Raised on songs and stories Heroes of renown The passing tales and glories That once was Dublin town The hallowed halls and houses the haunting children's rhymes that once was Dublin city in the rare old times ring a ring a rosy, as delight declines I'll remember Dublin city in the rare my name it is sean dempsey as dublin as could be born hard and late in pinnacle in a house that ceased to be by trade i was a cooper lost out to redundancy like my house that fell progress My train to memory I caught Peggy Dignan As pretty as you please A rogue and child of Mary From the rebel liberty I lost her to a student chap With skin as black as coal When he took her off to Birmingham She took away my soul Ring-a-ring-a, rosy As the light declines I'll remember Dublin City In the rare old
1: times
2: The years have made me bitter The goggles dimmed me brain Cause Dublin keeps on changing Nothing seems the same The pillar and the met have gone The royal long since pulled down As the grey unyielding concrete Makes a city of my town Fare thee well, sweet anna I can no longer stay And watch the new glass cages That spring up along the cave. My mind's too full of memories Too old to hear new chimes I'm part of what was Dublin in the rain. As the light declines, I'll remember Dublin City In the rare old times, ring-a-ring-a-rosy As the light declines, I'll remember Dublin City
1: And there we had the unmistakable voice of Luke Kelly singing The Rare Old Times, very much a song associated rather with the city of Dublin and actually composed by Pete St. John. You may be familiar with uh, Pete's, one of his other actual works as well, The Fields of Athenry. So um, I think Dublin is actually one of those places is very much associated with, maybe not so much with uh, Shaw in the first place, although he definitely was a child of Dublin of the time, uh, but perhaps more associated with the actual next character we're actually going to meet, a gentleman by the name of James Joyce. So although James Joyce actually left Dublin and actually started to pen his work really mostly after leaving Dublin in his, I think it was the early 20s, his early early 20s, he certainly came to be the author most associated with capturing Dublin of the time and giving a sense of just what it was like to people around the world through his books like Ulysses and so on and so forth. So I think we're going to switch straight over now to Karina. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about James Joyce and his background, and one particular aspect of his family's anatomy that you may not actually have been familiar with. So over to you, Karina.
0: Do you have an Irish nose in your family? Have you noticed a literary theme springing up in recent letters? You may remember that just a couple of weeks ago we spoke about the writer George Bernard Shaw. This time we continue with the same theme and move on to another giant of Irish literature, James Joyce. Have you read, or more likely started, any of his books? There's Ulysses, portrait of the artist as a young man, to name a few. It has been said that if Dublin was levelled in the morning, heaven forbid, says us Corkonians, it could be rebuilt using descriptions gained from the pages of Ulysses. The Journey of the Joyces and James Joyces' Nose. Last week we met Michael Joyce from the Cork School of Music, and I asked if he came from Galway or Mayo. You see, Joyce is a well known surname in those parts. They even have a Joyce country in Mayo named after themselves. Michael replied, Oh, not at all. My family come from the centre of Cork City and my father would have researched the Joyce name in Cork and where they came from. Then just the other day we ran into another Cork Joyce, John Joyce, who runs the wonderful Joyce's toy store on Prince Street in the city. And we started to chat about the Joyce surname in Cork. He said, It seems that all the Joyce's in this area come from the same place originally. There also seems to be a Joyce nose. I don't have it much myself, but my brother certainly does. It runs through the family and you can see it on James Joyce himself. That sounded intriguing. We weren't just going on the trail of James Joyce's ancestors, but we now had the James Joyce nose to guide us along the path. The Movements of One Norman Family Many of the surnames in Ireland today are of Norman origin. Names like Fitzgerald, Burke, Butler, Barry, Walsh, Joyce and many more. Are any of those Norman names in your family tree, I wonder? These names arrived in Ireland mostly from Wales from the 12th century onwards. And over the next 200 years, the majority had intermarried with the native Gaelic Irish and became more Irish than the Irish themselves. One such Norman lord was Thomas the Jorse, J O R C E, who arrived in Ireland in 1283 AD to marry the daughter of Turlock O'Brien, Prince of Thomond. The newly married couple travelled on to Connemara to live on lands granted under the kingship of the O'Flahertys. The area in which they settled, located in the middle of Connemara, became known over time as Joyce's country. Some of these early Joyce travellers to the newly established Galway town then became part of the tribes of Galway. The, The Jorse families in Connemara slowly took on Irish Gaelic traditions, language and customs. In time, they became known by the Irish version of their name, which is Shoiga spelt S-E-O-I-G-H-E. This name then became further anglicised to Joyce, J-O-Y-C-E, in later years. Around the year 1680 AD, one of the prominent Connemara Joyce's, Sean Shoiga, or, as you'd say in English, John Joyce Sr. was sent to assist the Baron of Kerry, William Fitzmaurice, to help him run his affairs as Chief Steward. He was a skilled stoned mason and builder and oversaw many of the building programmes in the region. So it is thought that Sean Moore, perhaps with a family member or two, is the ancestor of most of the Joyce families found across Cork, Kerry and Limerick today. Now, by the early 1800s, one branch of these monster Joyces had settled around Cor- the Cork town of Fermoy, and they started to buy properties in Cork City around White Street, and establish a number of businesses, both in Fermoy and in Cork City. By the time John Stanislaus Joyce was born in 1849, with his distinct Joycean nose, his Catholic family had seesawed through periods of wealth and bankruptcy. On paper, John Stanislaus Joyce, who was the father of the novelist James Joyce, came across as an actor, failed student, tenor singer, successful athlete, general man about town, and someone who fell in with the wrong crowd on a regular basis. This last attribute prompted his mother to move the family to Dublin following the death of his father, an attempt at a fresh start away from bad influences. John Stanislaus met and married Mary Murray, and they had 10 children together while living in Clontarf in Dublin. They called the eldest of their boys James, and you can see the household members if you look up the 1901 census. In the census too, you might notice that James Joyce was 19 at this stage, he is noted in the census as being able to read and write in both Irish and English. Imagine that! In fact, by this time, Joyce was attending University College Dublin, where he studied English, French and Italian. In 1912, James Joyce went into self-imposed exile and left Ireland for the last time with his wife, Nora Barnacle. In 1922, 21 years after that census record above, James Joyce had written and published Ulysses. He died in Switzerland in 1941 and is buried in Zurich. However, we still have plenty Joyce family members found around Formoy, County Cork and in Cork City. And I'm sure more than a few of them must have that famous Joyce nose. How about you? Do you have an interest in James Joyce? Or maybe you have a Joyce or two in your own family tree.
4: In Dublin's fair
5: city Where the girls are so pretty I first set my eyes a wheelbarrow to streets broad and narrow crying cockles and mussels alive, alive,
4: oh
5: She was a fishmonger and sure no wonder for so were her father their wheelbarrows through streets broad and narrow cry a cockle
1: Right, so wasn't, isn't that a classic? Molly Malone there, sung by Dervish and De May. And uh, thanks so much to Corina as well for sharing those two stories of two Irish literary giants, giants rather, both uh, George Bernard Shaw and James Joyce. And I think Molly Malone herself is one of those characters that would have featured in the works of both of these particular authors. So, you know, if you think about George Bernard Shaw and um, the character in, uh, let's say, My Fair Lady in the first place, a uh, very much Molly Malone type character. And of course, if you think about James Joyce and the various characters, he was so good at putting into the actual um, the scenes and the places inside his no- novels all set around Dublin. So I think there we had very much with Molly Malone and before that the previous piece of music, the Rare Old Times, two pieces of music that are very much associated with the city of Dublin. And I think again with the actual two of these particular authors who were actually both brought up in the city of Dublin, but in both cases actually left at a relatively young age, but were forever associated with that place. So, again, um, I think we've come to the end of the show. Yes, we have indeed. And again, I'd like to say that today's show is dedicated to my uncle, William Mannion, who passed away earlier this week. Uh, You will not be forgotten. And thank you so much for spending time with me today and time with Karina. And um, we really much appreciate your your feedback, your input, etc. And again, if you do want to follow the show, please do on whatever podcast player you're you're on at the moment. You can find the show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 702. That's a letterfromireland.com forward slash 702. And we really very much look forward to chatting again next week. So, Slan for now and chat again then.
0: If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, the Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show, and you can find full details of the Green Room at letterfromireland.com forward slash Green Room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage, because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research to tools, quick win training, as well as member only access to johngrenham.com, and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice.